0: I would like to welcome everyone to Side Talks. Corey, i we went so off the rails on episode 23 that I'm taking a very serious approach, almost an inside the actor studio approach, if you will.
1: Finally, we're taking things seriously here. We've I'm, decided
0: I'm that there's no more humor. Now that Corey has seen the Joker, we will no longer joke about anything.
1: There really is no laughter left in the world. It's
0: just dark times ahead. Look at the political situation we're in right now. People have just tuned out. They literally right there went, what are we listening to? But this is indeed Side Talks.
1: It's, um, it's a podcast about cinema.
0: <laughs> no more laughter.
1: No, I'm trying. Stop.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Rachel Morgan, and I am the creative director for the Sidewalk Film Festival and Cinema.
1: And I'm Corey Kraft. I'm the I'm a programmer who is not laughing.
0: I'm not really sure why my voice had to get deep to do this, but it did. So welcome to the podcast. That
1: thanks. was the Joker voice. <laughs> thanks, Terry Griss. <laughs> Get ready for a five-minute fight.
0: Five-minute. Round one. Fight. fight. Yeah. Five-minute fight. It's time.
1: All right, let's do it. Uh, in select cinemas and on Netflix right now is Noah Baumbach's new movie Marriage Story. I think it's one of the best movies of the year. You say it's just... <laughs> fine it's okay what
0: but it's okay is and your deal so i feel strongly enough that it's not in the top 10 list of the year that i would argue about it um you know i would say more like let's make a case for why you think this should be in a top 10 list sure this year. it's
1: probably one of the best performed movies of the year not only from okay. the two leads adam driver and scarlett johansson but from the supporting characters who surround them in really memorable, sharply written, and sharply defined roles. Mm-hmm. Laura Dern as uh, one attorney, Ray Liotta and Alan Alda as as two others. Julie Haggerty, Merritt Weaver as Scarlett Johansson's family. You have this stacked supporting cast, and you have a typically immaculately written Noah Baumbach screenplay to go with Hmm. it. I also think Hmm. that the movie is, oh, you're raising an objection. (laughs) Um, It's super well directed. It's super well shot. It's compassionate and even handed as it examines sort of the, um, the conditions surrounding this imminent divorce and the fallout. Yeah. um, When both of these people sort of act poorly and act unlike themselves. Um, It hit me personally, you know, on a very deep level. Um, And I thought the performances were outstanding. Uh, So I love it. Why don't you?
0: I'm not going to argue any of the points that you just made necessarily i do think the performances are very strong i think that it has a you know some portions of the script are good i think uh you know it has a great trailer maybe maybe part of the issue is that the trailer is good Uh because it's just like the whole movie's right in there in some way shape or form which kind of blew a lot of the stuff for me there are moments when i want to know why it's so poorly directed poorly directed yes you heard me
1: what what about it is so poorly directed? I
0: can just give you one example. The okay. kid, the, they lost me at the kitchen scene at the um, we're gonna we need to you know serve him with these paper scene Mm. that particular scene feels clunky and weird and not it seems like it's supposed to be comedic at moments but it's not edited for comedy yeah it's not directed for comedy you know what it feels like a stage play
1: do you find francis ha or mistress america or any of his other sort of jangly screwball comedies funny
0: yeah i do I do, but, but I did not. That did, that was not funny to me. That's interesting. And it just seemed clunky direction. It seemed like what's going on here, and it and it actually I think impacted the performances in that scene, mostly from the supporting folks in that in, wow. in that moment.
1: I found that it had the same energy as those films. I mean, mm. obviously it does because it's a Bondiuck movie. Sure. But- Ah, uh, his collaborations with his editor Jennifer Lame in this this film. I think she started editing his films with Francis Ha, so they have that sort of jagged energy to them. Um, I think that's been a really great collaboration for him and 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 for me. The comedic moments hit. You know, yeah, they don't, well.
0: they don't land for me. It also feels about 25 minutes too long, maybe a little longer, maybe even mm-hmm. more. The sort of New York versus L.A. thing is, you know, kind of gets on my nerves. I, I, at a certain the square point, footage it's
1: like, in, in L.A., uh, I mean, that's compare what compare yes,
0: that Yes, that joke is said seven times in the film, which I get is maybe part of the deal. is like it's supposed to be the repetition in it. But I, at a certain point, when when we're over the two-hour mark, I don't need to hear that joke again. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it to be a little bit irritating. I found her to be really unlikable at certain moments, and maybe that's... That's the point. But at the same time, Adam driver isn't doesn't have that sort of same feeling. And it feels very like his character doesn't. And it feels wow. very lean towards him.
1: I disagree with that. I think he's a huge asshole.
0: Yeah, I didn't get that. I felt like the film was more sympathetic to him. Ah. You know, I just that's that was my read on. He, we, we get more screen time with him. We get more insight with him. I feel like we are get a little bit more interior with him. Um, she seems cold and sexless and and distant and I'm not really I don't I'm not really understanding her I mean the whole moment when Laura Dern's character kind of says we're going to tell your story no actually you're not we're just going to hear the dude's story and it's you know no surprise like the pro New York side but don't you think like that's
1: kind of the point of that that he has always assumed he understood her but his selfishness kind of blinds him to that
0: maybe but we get that we get that in one scene i think you know i disagree that, and i think the,
1: that's layered throughout the
0: movie i i just don't to disagree with you there i mean laura Dern has a great an epic um monologue in it's this going thing. to win
1: her an oscar
0: it's wonderful it's not that far afield from a, a lot of the roles that she's been doing lately including you know um big little lies or whatever it is like i mean that her character is very sort of parallel to that um and that's fine I mean I can see her do that all day and night do not get me wrong like I you know that scene deserved an applause and it's well written and it's strange and it's mean and it's you know just amazing and sort of very uh apropos in this day and age lots of things I can go on about that but that's only a few minutes of the film Um, Thanks. okay well that was a very civilized argument at least unlike what happens unlike in the film. What happens in
1: <laughs> in Marriage Story. Um Adam Driver gives probably one of the best if not the best performances of the year in the movie.
0: Yeah, I I'm I I'm, I'm happy to hand them a little statue for their performances plus they're both uh, beautiful and white so they get one anyway. Oh but, you know, it performances don't make a film. Necess- you know, there's a lot of other things that have to be lined up for a film to get onto a top 10 list. Fortunately, hey, in this Sam, film they we're, were still arguing. You want
2: Sad Marriage Story. Okay, I have still not seen this one, uh, but I really want to at the uh, cinema and probably will this week before it uh, leaves the theaters, which I guess it will be out before um, this airs. But, uh, okay, Corey says it's compassionate and even-handed and well-written, but then Rachel kind of takes that argument down by saying it's not really even handed. It's more sort of pro Adam driver, even though it is attempting to be just 50, 50 both sides. Um, I can definitely see that. Um, and I can also completely see how it has just a great trailer, which can take away from the film itself. Uh, if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the film, which is a common problem. It's, it reminds me of, uh, the movie hearts Beat loud. Um, and, This script seems kind of written to be deep and profound to, like, angsty middle schoolers who have never seen plays before. Um, And I think if Wallace Shawn played Adam Driver's character, it would be just universally acclaimed. And so I'm going to say for this one, it's a tie, Uh, just like a divorce.
0: Nobody wins. Oh, so true. So true.
1: You said a lot of mean things about that movie that you gave me a tie on. It's fine. (laughs) Just like
0: in a (laughs) voice. Right, isn't that, didn't you learn from the film? We can say horrible, mean things to each other and still love each other and figure out the road forward, which is what we're going to do now.
1: I learned that from my childhood,
0: (laughs) So did I, which is why this film didn't affect me.
1: And now, a look at what we're watching this week.
0: Hey, Corey, what are you watching?
1: So I recently got a really nice uh, 4K television set and a You've 4K a few <laughs> UHD uh, Blu-ray player. I'm very excited for both. They are great. I just picked up um, a, a new disc, new as the type, time of this recording, that I think might be the reference disc for this setup. And it is Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Nice. One of my favorite movies, I will, you know, not to sort of give a preview of something to come. I would say my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie because I'm basic, uh, a movie that I have seen dozens and dozens of times. It has never looked or sounded as good as it does on this 4K UHD Blu-ray. Um, the level of detail is immaculate. I mean, it's it's truly, truly phenomenal. This is the the recent restoration, by the way, that got a brief... Theatrical run ahead of the release of Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining, that's coming out. Probably it's already out as of the time of the release of this this podcast. Anyway, The Shining, apart from its technical merits, rules as a movie. It's just great.
0: Surprise! Um, in yeah. case you've never heard of it, well, The yeah. Shining.
1: It's got Jack Nicholson in it. He goes crazy with an axe. I mean, it's this whole thing. It's amazing.
0: Um,
1: but but one thing, you know, a couple things stand out. I've I've seen this movie, uh, you know. Again, dozens of times, just the sheer bravado of the steady cam sequences just weaving throughout the halls of the Overlook Hotel. I mean, that's a technology that is of the filming of this movie in, what, 79 was still relatively recent, if not brand new. It
0: was very young. It was very young. Yeah.
1: Um, and, and just Kubrick saying, all right, we're going to make more or less an entire film using this. Um, get ready because we're going to figure it out as we go. Um, just what can you say to something like that? I mean, they're so hypnotic too. They work so well in this, well, the maze that is the Overlook Hotel. Um, the performances are all amazing. I mean, so much is said about Nicholson. I think Shelley Duvall's uh, like tremendous in this movie. And, and I know that how she got to where she got in the movie is fraught. You know, it's controversial. Kubrick was not a good dude to her. Or to Scatman Crothers, or really to anybody he worked with, um, so exacting were his methods, and so, you know, you know, dreadful I guess you <laughs> could say were his methods. But I mean, the the film is just immaculate. I mean, every piece of it works in harmony with every other piece. I just I love it so much that um, you know, it, I, I it, just seeing it. A new, this time, feels like watching it for the first time. And on this UHD presentation, it feels like a movie that was made yesterday. It's just phenomenal.
0: That's cool. And this um, this Blu-ray that you've got your hands on is the reason why they have not been releasing it uh, theatrically this well, Halloween season.
1: If and when they do release it again, maybe next year, showing that on the big screen, man, what yeah. a treat that would be.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I, I can tell you what I'm watching. Um, which is this is so not, extremely untimely of me to say this. Um, maybe not as much as you talking about The Shining, right. but um, but uh, I watched The Big Sick. I don't know why. Yeah, I was just sort of like, oh, I didn't see that, and maybe I should see that. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know that I needed to, but it was fine. I appreciate that, you know, sort of um, some representation in the film, clearly mm-hmm. by the writer director, and you know that. Um, and the sort of fact that this is a, based on a real story kind of thing that um, I think is important and, and, and very relevant. And so I, I like that. But at the same time, I'm just like, this felt just sort of a little dull. Um, it's fine. It was fine. Um, and I'll tell you what, it made me kind of think about was was, I don't need to spend too long talking about, you know, about the big sick. I think that's probably been covered. But also, um, you know, just the fact that this so probably doesn't deserve too much time. Um and I mean I think it got some things right, don't get me wrong. Um but uh it reminded me of watching the film Beautiful Boy mm-hmm. on a plane. Um and thinking I understand why Be- why Big Sick got made, but I remember thinking, Why am I why am I watching this film Beautiful Boy? Why is this film made? Um and have you seen it?
1: Yeah, I've seen them
0: both. Um what do you think?
1: I like them both. I don't love them, but I like them. Yeah.
0: I felt like Beautiful Boy would have maybe gotten handed a stack of Oscars if it had been 1999. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just don't like Boo Fucking Who is how I feel about this film. I don't care about this kid. Everything feels like an act- acting exercise throughout the entire film. It just it's also just like, "Oh, surprise. This is you know, it's a, about a junkie who can't seem to get clean and keeps wrecking everybody's life around him and dad's sad about it and I don't care." Anyway, maybe you don't care to hear me say I don't care, but that's that's what I've been watching.
1: Yeah. Um those those movies have their issues. I think they're they're largely successful at what they're trying to do, whether or not what they're trying to do is worth trying to do is, is sort of up to you, I guess. But I thought that the beautiful boy, you know, in particular kind of spoke to the, the present sort of opioid epidemic hmm. in, in a really sort of intimate, if not sometimes manipulative way. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I like, Um, the Internet's boyfriend, Timothy Chalamet. So if he wants to go full-on acting exercise every once in a while, why not?
0: I disagree. Hmm. Anyway, that's what I'm watching other than I saw that Taylor Swift commercial again. I really like it still.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's That's not surprising. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment Film History Minute with Charlie Brown.
3: Today I'd like to talk about a film called The Princess Bride released in 1987. In the early 1970s, Oscar-winning screenwriter William Goldman asked his daughters what they'd like him to write a story about, with one replying, a princess, and the other, a bride. Published as a book in 1973, The Princess Bride was a huge success and swiftly came to the attention of Hollywood, with Goldman writing a screenplay that would, over the next 14 years or so, gain a reputation as being one of the best unproduced scripts. The film kept failing to get the green light for various reasons but not for lack of trying. With at least six big-name directors attempting an adaptation at various points, including Robert Redford, who wanted to make his directorial debut on the film and play the lead role of Wesley, even French new-wave legend Francis Truffaut considered making the film at one stage. But in the end, it fell to sitcom star-turned-novice filmmaker Rob Reiner. With a relatively meager $15 million budget, the cast ended up being a mix of Reiner's comedian pals, British comics who lived close to the film's shooting locations, and a few actors that Goldman had in mind while writing it, such as Andre the Giant as Fezzik. At the time, Andre was a French wrestler whose only acting experience was the role of Bigfoot in an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man. When Andre auditioned for the role, although he spoke English, he couldn't understand a word he said, so Reiner recorded Andre's entire part on tape exactly how he wanted him to do it. And Andre studied the tape to learn his lines and how to say them. Wallace Sean, who played Vizzini, was really nervous on set, since he knew that Danny DeVito had been the first choice for the role. In real life, as his character says, he is a man of dizzying intellect. In fact, while filming The Princess Bride, Sean was also giving guest lectures at Oxford on American literature. The role of Buttercup, called The Most Beautiful Woman in the World, went to Robin Wright who was cast only a week before production began after Reiner had auditioned half of Hollywood. At the time, Wright was on the daytime soap opera Santa Barbara. The show allowed her to do the role in exchange for extending her contract an extra year. Carrie Ells and Mandy Patenken rehearsed for six months for their big sword-fighting scene. When they proudly showed the sequence to Reiner, he replied, Oh, that's it? So they ended up redoing the whole fight scene and came up with the idea of using mirrors to demonstrate how their characters could sword fight with both hands. During his sword fighting scenes, Christopher Guest says he was so into his part, he was unconsciously making the sound of the swords hitting each other, even though Reiner kept reminding him that real sound effects would be used. In another scene, Guest was supposed to hit Els really hard, but his reluctance to do it was obvious on screen. So Ells told guests to just go for it and ended up in the emergency room, which is the take they used in the film. On its release, the film made $30 million, which wasn't considered a disaster, but not really a box office success. Since then, however, The Princess Bride has become a cult classic and is among the most highly quotable movies. Almost everyone in the cast has become accustomed to having their lines shouted at them in the street, especially Wallace Shawn, who says at least once a day, someone comes up to him to say, "Inconceivable."
1: And now, Fast Film Terms.
0: So, say it really fast.
1: Fast Film Terms.
0: You got it. You got it. Nailed it. Nailed it. Um, And so here's our Fast Film Term today, and that is a pickup. Do you know what a pickup is?
1: It's an additional shot, right? Like Like an insert shot, often.
0: It doesn't even have to be an, an insert shot. But, yeah, you're right. It's it's additional footage. It's sort of like, oh, we've shot everything. We've yeah. wrapped shooting. And now we've got to, unfortunately, go and get some other stuff. Gotcha. Or maybe not, unfortunately, because I think people know that occasionally this does happen. But it is important to remember that, you know, a pickup shot is not a reshoot. Sure. Um, a reshoot is something different. And that's usually a little bit of a red flag. That's something, you know, not that not that. That doesn't happen from time to time, but it can be. If you're having to do a lot of reshooting, something has gone wrong, and certainly all of it costs money. Yeah. So, yeah, pick up is just additional footage that you're going to shoot after you've wrapped. Gotcha. What's this shit? It's that time. You it's just jumped time. right into it. I jumped right into it because I don't want to – I want to keep you on your toes. want to keep you awake, and that little singing bit will get you every time. I mean, I'm
1: awake. Okay. Let's hear it.
0: So – Boy, oh, boy. I don't know if you're going to get this one. Okay. I really don't. And I don't have a lot to give you because I found this to be boring and I had to get the heck up out of the cardio cinema. (laughs) Um, And so here it is. Bernie Mac. Okay. I like him. R.I.P. Yeah. yeah, R.I.P. Yeah. Yeah. Um, lost him at a young age. I did a little quick little Wikipedia search and didn't realize he passed away at 51, mm-hmm. very young. Yeah. So RIP, we miss you, Bernie Mac. Um, but he is playing baseball. Oh, I know. What th- and oh, wow. That's all I had to say. He's in the dugout. Yeah. I was going to tell you their uniforms were like a white.
1: I mean, he made a baseball <laughs> movie. This is the baseball movie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this is the baseball movie. What it, is it's it? It's
1: called Mr. 3000. Oh,
0: my God.
1: I, I've never seen it. I just, it. It was one of those... DVD covers that I saw all the time when I was at work at Hollywood Video.
0: Right. Okay. Well, there so you go. So it came out
1: like 2004, 2005, and and the pitch was, "What if Bernie Mac played baseball?"
0: That's the pitch. I
1: mean, yeah, he's like a he's like a retired baseball player who comes back to like get some more hits or something. It was, you know, a 2000 late sort of Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa take or something oh. with Bernie Mac. Yeah. Um. So I presume it's not good you seem i don't to know suggest... i saw
0: five minutes it was a bunch of dudes in a locker room um i was listening to eastbound and down on my headphones which made it kind of fun but you know other than that no and yeah. there was some dialogue there was some product placement those are the clues i literally sure. have clues for you like they talked to each other and there was a mountain Dew ad in the background <laughs> <laughs> so i'm really glad that you got it based on bernie mac and baseball i mean cause that's all I was there's only
1: you. like one option so all
0: right well i wouldn't have gotten it i didn't get it so glad that you did So, you have just listened to episode 24 of Side Talks. If you liked it and you haven't listened to the other 23, do it. And if you like it and you have listened to those, we're going to have 25 pretty darn soon, right, Corey?
1: Sounds like it, yes. Yeah, I hope so. Seems unavoidable at this rate.
0: And we are your own personal um, Richie and the Fawns. Did you get that reference? That's like a, you know. I mean, I'm not that young. I mean, I don't, that's, that's sort of before my time even. But, but anyway, they, am I saying it right, Richie? It's Richie, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, Richie that's, and the Fawns. Guess, right? Guess who's the Fawns? Guess who's the Fawns? Oh,
1: Jesus. <laughs> um, no, TV Land was a thing. Oh, know, that's, right. So that's,
0: that's right. That's right. So I, my other option here was to say we're Patty and Kathy.
1: That I don't know.
0: Well, Patty Duke?
1: Well, I know who Patty Duke
0: is. Patty Duke plays Kathy, the same ki- anyway. Anyway, okay. Nick at Night. Um, anyway, we're, we're done talking now. So give them, drop them the hashtag.
1: Hashtag Side Talks. Use that uh, in your social media conversation. Uh, we're on social media, by the way, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can find us at Sidewalk Film. Um, so check us out there and, and give us a rating and review on um, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this thing. Uh, we sure would appreciate it.
0: And thanks so much to Botwell Studios and to Splash 96. Man, all those folks rule.
1: Yeah. They're, so they're doing the most we, for, we appreciate for this it. horror show here.
0: Man, I know. And they're going to have to, like, go scurrying for some lightning sound effects this time <laughs> around. And, oh, uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they put up with us. So thank you so much, and thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. Botwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.